we're back on Ariva Martin in real time. Avi Bernard in for Ariva Martin today. And we are now joined by Laura Rodriguez, Vice President for Government Affairs at the Center for American Progress Action Fund. Laura, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Avi. It's great to be here. So we have a lot to talk about. So much unfolding in, in the House of Representatives today, so much so that I was late sending out the rundown to my previous guests because I kept wanting to see which direction this was going to go. At first it was, okay, so Jim Jordan failed in the second vote, and now he is going to be uh, uh, putting his candidacy aside for a minute, if not um, if not stepping away from the candidacy uh, for the uh, speakership of the House altogether. Uh, and he, he wanted to then, uh, then he was going to empower uh, pro tem speaker Patrick McHenry to have more power so that the House could at least get back to business. And then the um, other Republicans were like, yeah, you know what? No, we don't want that either. And then Jim Jordan says, you know what? I will actually uh, go for a third vote to become the House Speaker. We don't know when yet, but this is uh, this situation obviously is very fluid, but it's even crazier than it is fluid. So, Laura, I just wanted to just get your your top line reaction to what has happened today so far. Yeah, I mean, you gave you gave a great summary of the absolute whiplash that was today in the House. As a former chief in the House, uh, we're used to a little chaos. The House has always been a little nuttier than the uh, than the Senate. But this takes it to a whole new level. Um, what we're witnessing here is the complete implosion of the Republican caucus. They cannot even figure out how to win, like how to get to a vote to keep moving the country forward. I mean, this is this is at a time when we've got, you know, the war obviously raging right now in the Middle East that looks like a tinderbox about to spread all over the region. We've got, you know, what they call a, you know, border crisis, but we do have an immigration issues to deal with. We have gun violence problems domestically. We have thing people want their representatives to work to help them. And what you're looking at is these backroom meetings. To your point, you know, this morning Jim Jordan says, "Yep, I'm going to back the Patrick Henry." You know. Um, we're going to give him some powers. Let's get through to January. And then we can, you know, we can get um, this whole process started again. They can't even agree to something so simple just when they get to a point where you think they might be able to do the right thing and move the country forward. They pull it back. And what the only thing we can guess is that whatever's happening behind closed doors is complete and total division. If they can't even get 217 for Patrick McHenry, and by the way, probably wouldn't be needed. And I think that's probably part of the problem, right? Um, but we've got stories about them yelling at each other, lunging at each other in these in these private meetings. But the fact of the matter is that they're so, I think, if I had to guess what happened there was they got nervous that Democrats were not not that they're not excited about a Patrick McHenry speakership, mm. but they can get behind someone who voted to certify the 2020 election, isn't an election denier, and came to legislate, right? Whether you know you agree with him on his positions or not, he came to legislate. That's what this country is built on, right? You compromise 
you're on that side, we're on this side, let's go get somewhere in the middle. And so they respect Patrick McHenry. And what I think what they're afraid of was that Patrick McHenry was going to have a pretty successful couple months with some Democratic support. Mm. And then come January, he'd have the position uh, full time. And and I think that's where the Jim Jordan folks got a little nervous. That is really fascinating. So so you're just to, so I make sure I understand you correctly. You're saying that Republicans, partially because they thought that Democrats would want it, and partially because they thought that Patrick McHenry, McHenry might actually do a good job at, at being speaker, made them not want it even more. That's right. Because <laughs> what they want, they can't get out of their own way. They are, there's just this, this group of them that is holding the rest of the caucus hostage that wants this extremist agenda rammed down people's throats. And the fact is that there, and then there's the group that is very steadfastly against Jim Jordan that is nervous because they come, you know, there are, there are 18 Republicans that are, their districts were won by President Biden Mm -hmm. and they're nervous that come 2024, they have to show face and that they don't want Jim Jordan to be their face, the face of their extreme agenda. And the fact is that it would be paralyzing because those same folks that are on the extreme wouldn't let, even if Jim Jordan was speaker, they wouldn't let him pass anything that would ever pass the Senate. So they'd shut down the government. Nothing would move forward. And so you're talking about absolute paralysis and nobody wants that. That's there to legislate. There's just that small group that won't, won't let go. So do you think that the 20 or 22 Republicans uh, who didn't vote for Jim Jordan did so because they are mostly those 18 who are in districts that Biden won or and, and they su- they fear that they're going to suffer some political consequences? I think that's certainly one calculation. Um, I do think that there are some that uh, have taken some of the threats quite personally and mm. it's not at all surprising right um jim jordan is a known bully that's kind of how he's always um portrayed himself and liked to be perceived like he's the big man on campus he's the guy who's going to get his way no matter what and he doesn't mind you know um throwing some elbows in order to to do it that's that's literally the persona that he has built for himself and now he's trying to kind of soften that up and nobody's buying it and the fact is that his supporters are harassing members, harassing their families. Uh, there's a report now that's unverified, but you know, there's certainly reporting happening that Ken Buck of Colorado is being kicked out of his district office because his landlord has decided to terminate his lease. It's giving him 30 d- days to move out of his <laughs> district office. Um, so we're talking some real kind of new level of retribution um, and new level of kind of bullying that we've never, ever seen before in our lifetime. The fact that Jim Jordan is even the Republicans leading guy, I don't (laughs) I don't foresee him personally um, getting ever to 217. But you know what? I want to ask you about that first. Do you think that Jim Jordan if he did continue to put votes on the floor or if the Republicans did continue to put votes on the floor, trying to get Jim Jordan to 217 votes, 
do you think that maybe after 15 votes like Kevin McCarthy or 10 or 20, that he would ever get to 217? I do not believe so. No, I think because there were very different problems with Kevin McCarthy and uh, and Jim Jordan. Kevin McCarthy has always been a bit of a weather vane. He's never really had, you know, super strong convictions, let's say. Um, and so, you know, I think folks saw that as an opportunity to get what they wanted from him. And so they wanted to negotiate with him and get what they wanted from him in order to get their vote. And, you know, you can't blame them for wanting to do that. That's, you know, a, a tactic, excuse me. But then there's Jim Jordan's issues are very different. It's it's what I was talking about earlier. Not only is he an election denier, he's never passed a single piece of legislation. Mm. He's got some serious problems with serious legislators in his own caucus. You take a look at the folks in the Armed Services Committee, the folks in the Appropriations Committee. He has never voted in his entire time in Congress for a continuing resolution to fund the government. He's never helped in the appropriations process. He's always voted to shut things down and stop things and cut things and has been generally unhelpful in the legislative process. And so all these folks who work hard to try to get these things passed, who are actually trying to legislate, they look at him as the antithesis of all that. And they cannot, I, I don't see how they can ever be turned or convinced that he's going to be their guy to work with Democrats to pass anything. And and let's say, fine, you don't need Democrats in the House to pass anything, but you do need Democrats in the Senate and you need to work with a President Biden. And and, and on what imaginary planet are we seeing that happen? I, I just, it's really hard. It's really hard to imagine a Jim Jordan in a room with a Biden and a Schumer making things work. It's it's hard to imagine him in a room with them, period. I mean, just <laughs> even, right. not even trying to make things work, but just him being willing to talk to them. And, and I had heard that he hadn't passed legislation ever in his in his history as a, a congressman. But I didn't know that he never voted for a continuing uh, continuing resolution to keep the government open. That is just that is really something else. That is that is that is a level of uh, as as a former Speaker John Boehner would say about his own party member up uh, um, legislative terrorism. You know, mm -hmm. that is that is actually what that is, because he does not care about governing. So why do you think that at the, the 200 or so Republicans who or, you know, 197 or whatever it was who, who voted for Jim Jordan? What's on their mind? Well, that's a great question. And I do think that it's a sad kind of omen to where the party is headed. Sometimes, you know, things have to get really bad before they get better. But I can tell you, we're really far away from a, a time when Republicans and Democrats could work together in a in a positive way. And they just seem to be moving more and more to the extreme. You can call it the Trump effect. Um, it's very hard to, I think we'll be analyzing this for a long time, but certainly since Trump has been on the scene, the electorate has been radicalized in a way that has then um, 
kind of pushed the candidates and then pushed the members of the House into that corner. And of course, I mean, if we really want to get into the weeds, we can talk about the gerrymandering that has also allowed all of this, right? Jim Jordan himself is a recipient of some very creative gerrymandering in Ohio. They call his district the duck district. That's what it looks like. If you look at it drawn on a map, it looks like a duck. It completely makes no sense. But it's his. it's drawn for him. And that kind of thing is happening all over the country. Um, I think people have started to wake up to it and people are starting to get involved um, in those like in that minutia. But you have to. Um, they, they have now forced you know everyday people to have to look at these maps and say, this doesn't make any sense. Why? Why is this going on like this? When when you look at a state like um, North Carolina, where the state went for Trump, but it was 50 to 49. Right. For it went for Trump versus Biden, 50 to 49. And they're trying to draw a map that's 11 Republican uh, districts and three Democratic districts. You know, you know, you got a problem. Right. So it's 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 happening everywhere. But folks are kind of waking up to it. And and like I said, I think sometimes things have to get real bad so people can pay attention. I think people are dying to get to the time when they don't have to think about this anymore. Um, but right now is not it, unfortunately. We got it. We got to stay, stay alert. We're speaking with Laura R- Rodriguez, Vice President for Government Affairs at the Center for American Progress Action Fund. And you know, you know what, Laura, Republicans are on the verge of turning me into a, a political scientist. So let's get into the weeds <laughs> a little bit. I mean, we're talking about states like Wisconsin, uh, who have a similar makeup uh, as you just described in North Carolina, because Wisconsin is is if not the purplest state, it's up there with the most purple states of, of elections that are right down the middle. Uh, elections of millions of people come down to 20,000 votes and their yet their House legislator is tilted so heavily towards Republicans. It's it's it, it, it's similar to to like a red state in the South. Yeah. And so uh, that gerrymandering is key. And I, I, you said that people are starting to wake up to it. And, I, you know, this is conversation about whether we need the Supreme Court to flip in order for that to really mean anything is a different conversation for a different day. But um, <laughs> it is just it is just really remarkable that gerrymandering has has done this. And it's it's Republicans choosing their voters instead of voters choosing their representatives. And I guess I what do you what do you think would happen if Jim Jordan were to become speaker what, what what would that mean i mean i know we talked about him the, the yeah. unlike being, <laughs> even being in a room with president biden but what do you think that would look like i i really do believe that it, it would be complete paralysis even if let's let's dream a little bit let's play it out and say okay so jim jordan becomes speaker and he's convinced uh, he's obviously had to convince some of these moderate republicans that he is going to help govern he's going to be the adult in the room. He's going to get things done. Okay. Which is, which is funny in and of itself, but <laughs> yes, it sure is. Um, but let's, let's just give him that for a second in this imaginary mm-hmm. world. And yeah, we're, we're imagining. Absolutely. And um, <laughs> it, that is what Kevin McCarthy tried to do with that 45 day CR that got him booted. Right. So even if we had a Jim Jordan that 
you know, turned over a new leaf and decided, you know, I'm here to help govern. I'm the speaker of the house. Now I'm, I'm the adult. I'm going to help things out. Um, he'd be booted out just like Kevin McCarthy would. The fact is, like I said, it's this faction, right? This right-wing faction of the Gates, the Boberts, the uh, Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greens that are not going to let that go. They're not going to, you know, they're going to extract every ounce of flesh that they can if they don't get their way. And they they need a civics lesson, unfortunately, because the, the, the system was designed for compromise. That there's a reason why there are 435 members in the House and there's 100 senators and they all have to agree. Everyone comes from a different place. They're representing all sorts of different people. And they are dead set on only having things their way. And so unfortunately, I think even if we got a productive Jim Jordan, we'd only have him for a little while. Okay, so two-part question. We might have to answer part of this question on the other side of the break, but... Is there such a thing as a moderate Republican in the House? And the second part of the question is, if so, what can they do to kind of take back control of the House, at least on their side, on the Republican side, from this this small band of of super extreme crazies? As people would say, it's the, the tail wagging the dog in the Republican caucus with those few crazy people being able to dictate everything that happens. So, yeah. um, yeah. And in fact, we'll, we'll take this. I want you to, to marinate on this for a second, because maybe you already have your answer, but we're, we're going to step aside for, for a, a break in just a, just a moment. And so that, cause that's just fascinating to me. What can, is there anything that, that those quote unquote moderate Republicans, if there are, if there is still such a thing in the house, is there anything that they can do? to kind of take control of the situation, even if that means working with Democrats, if that means, um, because Democrats would probably, Democrats are unified. You know, mm-hmm. Hakeem Jeffries has his caucus in line and they're, they're willing to do you know, what I think they're all, they're all gonna do uh, to work together to get the best possible outcome for Democrats. And, and so I wanna talk about that situation when we come forward. And also um, the state of the, of the Republican party you mentioned, you know, it's a sign that of where the Republican Party is headed, but where is that? And is this the beginning of the end of the Republican Party? I want to ask uh, Laura Rodriguez from the Center for American Progress about that right after this news, traffic and sports update on KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back on Ariva Martin in real time. Avi Bernard in for Ariva today. And very pleased to be joined by Laura Rodriguez, Vice President for Government Affairs at the Center for American Progress Action Fund. Okay, Laura, so before we step aside, I had posed a two-part question to you. The first part is, are there any moderate Republicans in the House of Representatives? The second part is, if so, and this part of the question might be moot if the answer to the first question is no, but if so, um, what can they do to get control of the caucus back from the crazies? So Avi, the definition of moderate has changed is what I'll say, right? As they keep shifting, right. The ones we thought were super right before, (laughs) um, are now our moderates. And there is, 
you know, there's a there's a there's a group of them called they call themselves the Problem Solvers Caucus. They are in a caucus with Democrats okay. that are also quote unquote moderate, um, which also keeps shifting that definition. Mm-hmm. So I'll say, you know, yes, they exist <laughs> in context with got it got in it. comparison, right? To the okay. to the like, you know, it's all relatively right wing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's all relative. But they don't usually flex their muscle like this. And I will mm-hmm. say this is the first time this this Jim Jordan vote is the first time we've really seen them flex their muscle. It is usually like you said the tail wagging the dog. And it's the complete opposite of what happens on the Democratic side by the way. Mm-hmm. But um on the on the Republican side, yeah. They they don't usually flex their muscle like this. They usually get railroaded. Um, but this time they have stood really strong and they've been, they're like, we are not, this is not the man that we want as our face. It's interesting though, because Jim Jordan seems to not hear like tonight, just tonight, right? It's like almost nine o'clock here tonight. They've announced that they're going to do another vote tomorrow at 10 a.m. Oh, okay. That's breaking breaking news right here. You heard it here first. (laughs) We're going to have a third vote uh, tomorrow on the floor of the House for Jim Jordan. That is remarkable. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. And then they floated possible weekend votes. So they're expecting possibly to lose tomorrow. And what is absolutely just remarkable about all this is Jim Jordan met, I believe, with 12 of his detractors tonight. Didn't change a single mind. None of them came out saying like they all said, yeah, we're st- we're standing strong. This is not our guy uh, for this position. And they still they still decided to to call this. And it's it feels like it's maybe a game of chicken. Like they're like, mm-hmm. if we don't let them vote on the McHenry thing, maybe, you know, they'll just wear them down. Um but it's it's really remarkable what we're seeing. But right now, what the let's say quote unquote moderates are doing is what they can do. Just stand strong, be the wall um, that they normally are not, you know, in many ways they let it get to this point, but this seems to be their line. What is, are they, I'm trying to understand why you want to bring a vote to the floor when you don't have the votes, because you, you go back and look at, at, all-time great speakers like Nancy Pelosi mm-hmm. and is who is not going to bring a vote to the floor if they don't have the votes, mm-hmm. right? And you have this, I'm sorry to, I guess I'm not sorry, but this, th- these clowns are just like, well, maybe it'll work out. You know, maybe uh, <laughs> maybe just by having the um, the the vote that they'll decide that they'll, they'll just do it in the moment. Is, is that, is, is it as simple as that? Is it, or is there any other possibility? Well, why are they would have this vote? There's, I think there's a level of peer pressure going on. They think because they, I think they think that if they don't, if they don't keep the pressure on, it gives them an out. Um, but if they keep showing that, this person's still voting no, this person's still voting no, that they're going to get pressure from their constituents, they're going to get calls, that they might, you know, change. And let's face it, you know, the media is also covering all of this, uh, you know, implosion of the caucus. And 
nobody wants to be a part of that. So the longer they, the more painful they make the process, I think that they think, well, maybe we can get them over with, you know, trying to give them this or that. So far, he hasn't been able to win anyone over. So, you know, it's, it's, it is a mystery to me what they're thinking, but that's my only guess is that they think that the chaos is going to let like someone's going to give and they're just going to be like, okay, I give, I just let's stop the chaos. We got to, we got to move on from this. Yeah. I'm always fascinated to imagine what those meetings are like when, <laughs> when someone like Jim Jordan or, or anyone is trying to get their a, a detractor of theirs to vote for them after previously having not voted for them. I'm always just curious what those meetings are like. Is, like if you're Jim Jordan saying something along the lines of, so yeah, um, I'm gonna need you to vote for me. And, <laughs> and the other guy is saying, you know, I, I'm not gonna vote for you. You know, and I'm sure there are, there are, there are conversations, okay, what's it gonna take? And yeah. what, what would it take for you to do to vote for me? And uh, I wonder what the answer to that is, nothing? I mean, what, what, because if you're someone like Jim Jordan, you, you have to know if you're yeah. the other party that he, he's a psycho. He's been crazy his entire time in Congress. He's not a moral person. He uh, was complicit in mm -hmm. uh, sexual assault when he was at Ohio State as a wrestling coach. He, he doesn't care about people. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of know that. But that's why I was asking if, if there are moderate Republicans. And I definitely take your point about it being relative because even now, you know, Joe Biden, a famously centrist Democrat, is probably like the most liberal president we've ever had because the things, right. keep, things keep shifting, right? That's right. That's right. And so it, it's just fascinating. But you know, you you talked earlier about the um, the state of the GOP, and you know what the fact that 197 or so members voting for Jim Jordan meant for the state of the GOP, uh, and it being it being sad. And I agree, it is sad. But but what where is the party going? I mean, and, and, and is this actually a shift since most of, if not all of them, voted for Donald Trump? And it, it, but maybe it's different because you expect it's it's so, it's so weird to even ask. But do you expect the House uh, of Representatives to the Speaker to be more of an adult than the President? But you're you're willing to vote for Donald Trump. But now that you're willing to vote for Jim Jordan, are you more hard right? You, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's kind of a yeah. weird. It's kind of a weird conversation to have uh, about the state of the GOP after after them voting for Donald Trump. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, we're entering uh, we're entering a zone that no one's entered before. It's really hard to say um, and to predict. I'm I I've been in politics for like twenty years, and it's it the shift has been so so incredibly sharp just in the last few years, right? Like when I was, I worked for the Obama administration at the State Department, the House was led by Republicans. My entire job was to work with the House. It was fantastic. They, you know, we really? we found common ground. Yeah, it was foreign policy, which is usually, you know, a, a pretty good place to find that common ground. Mm -hmm. But even now that's being politicized, right? So it used to be that we could, I could sit down. I literally would sit down and have a beer with my colleagues from the Republican side. And we'd chat about like what we could do, where, where, where we could move things. I would walk into their committee room. Like I owned the place and they let me because they were cool like that. You know, like they was, we, we had a relationship. It was a mutual respect thing. We were colleagues. We were working together to help the country move forward. It was about the country. It wasn't about the party. 
And so we're really far away from that. My hope though, is that we're not so far away from that, right? That was just a few years ago that Mm. I'm hoping that this is just kind of like a fever that needs to break. And I'm waiting for that moment. That is my hope as a Pollyanna. (laughs) I've been in government so long. I needed to work because, you know, I got kids. I wanted to work for them, but, um, but I, I do think, uh, like we talked about the gerrymandering, we talked about all that. I do think that folks are really, like I said, they're starting to wake up and they're not, they're seeing things are broken and they're trying to fix them. We're starting at the state level, state legislatures. You know, f- people are focusing now on school board races. It mm. starts from the very bottom. Mm. And I think no one is sitting it out anymore. And that's a great thing. It, it took, you know, getting to the brink of destruction of democracy. But sometimes I think that's what it takes to, to make people kind of focus. Yeah, from you having beers with your Republican colleagues to uh, to someone like Patrick McHenry, who is somewhat acceptable to Democrats, kicking Nancy Pelosi out of her office while she's at a memorial for Diane Feinstein. That is the that's yep. quite a shift. Quite a shift in in respectability. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, when we come forward, though, I um, I do want to ask you: Is this the end of the GOP? And I asked this to my last guests and. Um, they, 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 they thought it wasn't, they, they, they said that, um, once Trump is gone, then things will kind of return to normal for the Republican party. But I want to get your take on that. Uh, Laura Rodriguez from the Center for American Progress Action Fund. When we come forward right here on KBLA talk 1580. We are back on Ariva Martin in real time. Avi Bernard in for Ariva tonight, wrapping up our conversation with Laura Rodriguez, Vice President for Government Affairs at the Center for American Progress Action Fund. Okay, Laura, so we've talked a lot about the Republican Party this hour and the trajectory of the party. Do you think that the state they're in now and the chaos we're seeing in the House, them being completely unable, completely paralyzed, as you put it, uh, completely unable to do anything, even elect a speaker, even even on a temporary basis. Do you think that this is indicative of the end being near for Republicans as a party? I think the Republican Party that we grew up with is probably gone. And they didn't have great ideas, but they at least came to deal, right? (laughs) Their policies were not fantastic. I know like a lot of people, you know, have fond memories of the Reagan Republicans or even Mitt Romney for that matter, you know, which was that long ago. Right. That I think, you know, again, not great policies, not, not stuff I'd support, but they came to deal. They came to legislate. They came to work and serve. I think, unfortunately, much of that sentiment is gone. I think you mentioned that your previous guests thought that once Donald Trump was gone out of the picture. Um, they things would go back to normal. I don't. I think he has opened a can of worms that is not going back. That toothpaste is not going back in the tube. I think what he did was expose, you know, some real feelings um, about the country and about you know what people have been feeling for a long time in certain areas of the country that they didn't think that they could say. And then he said, it's okay to say, and they're not going back into hiding. Um, 
nice that we know who they are now, but, mm -hmm. uh, but they're, they're here to stay, unfortunately. Now the question is how much, how much power are those people going to have? How, I still believe that they are a smaller portion percentage wise of the party. So I don't think the party's over. I think the party though is fundamentally changed and it's always going to have to compromise with this right, right wing fringe that we're seeing because they are unapologetic and they are unbending. These are not folks who compromise. That's not what they came to do. Um, so unfortunately, I think that's where I think that's where we are. Yeah, and it feels like the the fringe is is becoming less and less of a fringe. They're becoming mm -hmm. more and more of you know the mainstream Republicans. And you know, you mentioned Mitt Romney, and and that just got me thinking how during that election, the prospect of a Mitt Romney presidency that was so scary. <laughs> And even even before that, John McCain. Yeah. And the prospect of, I, of either of those guys being in power was like, oh, my God, please no. <laughs> and, and now we look back and like, man, those they were actually decent human human beings. And Mitt Romney you know, sometimes still is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, decent people, uh, especially in comparison to other members of their party. Uh, you know, you think about the John McCain. Um, uh, campaign event where he was speaking and the woman you know the famous clip where she the woman says that uh barack obama is an arab and he's like no no he's an american and i just disagree with him on some things imagine donald trump ever saying anything like that or even any of these other crazies like lauren bovert or, or marjorie taylor green it's just that 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 party i don't know if that party's ever coming back because exactly you see people trying versions of that not not to that level or to yeah. uh, that charisma, you know, uh, uh, some of the candidates trying that on some level now, but, and, and there's just no appetite for them uh, among their, among their base. They so, broke Mitt, they broke Mitt Romney. They broke him. He's leaving. He's like, I can't do this anymore. You people are too much for me. Like they broke him. And, and when you have people running for president on the Republican side, against Donald Trump, right? They're trying to beat him in the primary and they cannot say that he lost the election except for what Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson. Those are the only two other than those two who aren't going to go anywhere. Let's face it. Latter, which um, isn't going to be, wasn't even at the second debate. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, when you look at that, the state of the party, you're like, well, it, it's, it's really kind of shocking uh, to see their pen, kind of penchant for almost authoritarianism. Mm. Uh, it, it, they, they're constantly talking about how Democrats want to take over your life and government. And the people that they follow, look at Ron DeSantis in Florida. Oof. What he's doing there, I'm from Florida, and what he has done to that state. Oh, sorry. And as a thank you, I appreciate that. But the crackdowns on the books and the teachers, the colleges, I mean, it is stuff straight out of dictatorships. And they call that freedom. And it's absolutely baffling to me that 
the the disconnect that they can't see. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, we are we're there, and until we, you know, Republicans, in my view, have played the long game for many years by defunding public education. Mm-hmm. Constant defunding, whether it's at the federal or the state level, they're always figuring out some scheme to lower that number for the kids. Why? Because an uneducated population serves them. And that's where, that's what we have to figure out. We we need to start playing the long game and fighting from now at the school boards, at our city council meetings, at our state legislatures, making sure that those, um, that money is getting to our kids and that they're getting educated with real subjects in real history. And so we have an electorate. So we're not living in idiocracy anymore because that's where we're headed. Oof, man, you said more than a word right there. <laughs> so Laura, uh, probably last question before, before we get you out of here. Um, how do you see this situation in the house resolving? It, I, this is one situation where I, I've I've heard many people say nobody knows what's going to happen, and and so I think that's true. We we don't know what's going to happen, but especially with, with the news that you helped us break, uh, with uh, them uh, apparently having a third vote for Jim Jordan tomorrow at ten a.m. Um, how do you see this situation in the House resolving? Nobody knows. <laughs> I I've never. We've just never seen this, and. You know, we we had that moment earlier today that we were like, yes, they're gonna at least, you know, even just for a minute, gonna put all this stuff, you know, p- past them. They're gonna move it aside to actually govern so that the government doesn't shut down and all this good stuff, you know, can just happen. And they can't do it, obviously. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's a real mystery. And Kevin McCarthy was asked today, like, can you can you put Humpty Dumpty back together again? Any chance you're you're the speaker again after all this mess? He's like, I think that time is past. (laughs) You know, that's his response, which is true. I mean, it's just we're at a point where there is nothing obvious right now. The most obvious for many people, even from the beginning when McCarthy was ousted, was a McHenry, you know temporary solution a little patch and let the let the the fever break a little but they couldn't do it you know they're let's let's hope that honestly let's just hope that they for the sake of the country they can go back to something like that and try and govern a little our our allies are are uh waiting on us and so are the people of this country wow well said uh, and just uh, a great place to close it out other than just you mentioned before, you know, Republicans fighting with each other. There was a three-hour meeting, and I, this is uh, reported in Politico, a three-hour meeting, a uh, Republicans-only meeting earlier today, and Matt Gay stepped to the microphone, and uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, yelled at him, sit down! Mm-hmm. And then uh, he refused, and then another Republican said, sit down or I'll put you down. <laughs> Just absolute madness. Uh, Laura Rodriguez... Uh, really appreciate you joining us. Vice President for Government Affairs at the Center for American Progress Action Fund. Uh, thank you so much for your perspective today and, and spending a little time with us. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. That was fun. Thanks, Avi.
Take care. We'll, we'll have to have you back on soon. And when we come forward, uh, Robin Ayers are going to be coming at you with the Raw Report right here on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Avi Bernard, and I am gone.